the wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Hello and welcome. This is The Wind Was a Beginning podcast where three nerdy friends talk about Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. This is season one, episode two. We don't have Twitter, we have a peddler. My name is Justin. I'm Michelle. I'm Steven. Stick around with us as we discuss chapters one through four of The Eye of the World. Hey guys, how are y'all doing this week? Doing all right. What Dude, a week, doing right? Fantastic, man. Oh awesome. man, what a week. Well, thank you guys for joining me yet again. Uh, so I think this is going to be an exciting week. We're really going to get to dive into things. We talked about the prologues before, uh, but now we're really getting more into the meat of things. Uh, so we're going to be talking about chapters one through four. Is everybody read up and ready? I am definitely read up and ready. I am ready. I am so excited about these chapters. All right. So for all our listeners out there, if you guys haven't read chapters one through four yet, uh, please go ahead and hit that pause button. Go read them. And we will be waiting for you when you get back. Uh, For everyone else that's now still listening, you've read and you are ready to go with us. Uh, (laughs) So we are going to be talking about, like I said, chapters one through four. Um, Just to give everybody a little bit of a summary for that before we dive in, um, our chapter begins with us being introduced to the small town of Edmonds Field and its various inhabitants. Uh, We meet a father and son making their way to town for festival, Uh, and then once they reach town, we meet yet again more villagers, uh, discover that there are strangers in town, not to mention that the father and son encountered a strange rider on the road. Uh, we find out about various goings on in the town and then are led to the appearance of a traveling peddler and some shocking news and a short performance by a traveling gleeman. So let's go ahead and hop on in. Uh, guys, I think the we're starting off. We have these uh, these two little quotes that start us off here. Do y'all have any thoughts or questions about that? Yes, I do. I feel like this kind of uh, these two quotes really circle back into what I was predicting in the prologue, um, Dragon Mount. Um, I really do think that uh, everything that's happening is where uh, Luce Theron, him going. I can't even say back in time, but kind of restarting the wheel of time, quote unquote. Okay. So your working theory is that uh, when Luz uh, did what he did on Dragon Mount to make the mountain that he reset everything. I want to say to listeners out there, because I know everyone has likely read Harry Potter. It's very similar to the Prisoners of Azkaban. Basically kind of did a time turner kind of thing. Uh, where he's trying to rewrite the past. So I really do believe that's what happened here. Okay. Justin, what about you? Well, you know, I, I had honestly kind of forgotten about these quotes, but as I, as I look at them, um, you know, one of the things that stands out to me is some of the language in the first one, 
uh, is very apocalyptic. Uh, you see things like the moon was his blood, the sun was his ashes, the seas boil. So that that definitely tells me that there's something uh, something big going on here. And I'm, I'm also struck by, at least after reading um, our first chapter, which tells us, uh, I believe it says, it's called the third age by some. Uh, I noticed that these come from the fourth age. So it's something that is set after our story, apparently. Yeah, so a lot of books will toss out like the idea of like prophecies and things like that. And this series too, we'll get into some of that at some point, but what we're seeing here is kind of a, a reverse of that. It's, they sound like prophecies, but they were actually written in the future of the events that we're going to be reading about. So uh, it's kind of like the author who wrote these quotes was looking back on things uh, in a sense. Uh, whether or not they lived it or not is a, a good question, or maybe they're simply retelling the things they've heard of what happened in the past. Uh, but yeah, it is really interesting that they come from the fourth age. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to have to go back and read these a little bit more carefully when I have time. Yeah, there, there is some, uh, nothing is done without reason in right. any of these books. Right. <laughs> so uh all right uh either of y'all have any other thing anything else to say about these quotes no but i'm looking forward to seeing whether or not my uh my predictions are correct all right very well then let us go on forward and let the dragon ride again on the winds of time <laughs> <laughs> that was a, <laughs> that was a good way to lead into it all right so uh that brings us into chapter one uh we are met with Tam and Rand on the road. Uh, so, and they are encountering this mysterious writer. What do y'all think about this? I'm like thinking about this mysterious writer and I'm, I'm really excited that it's, it, that we're not waiting until chapter 20 to see something like this. Um, who do you guys think the mysterious writer, mysterious writer is? I guess that's more so a question for myself <laughs> since, I, since I haven't read the series. <laughs> Um, yeah, Steven, I can't... Steven, who do you think the mysterious writer is? <laughs> who, who do you guys suspect? Oh. Who do you guys suspect? <laughs> it might be Egwene. I could, act <laughs> I could actually go into like an in-depth analysis of who the, uh, who the who the writer is, who who exactly the writer is. But but I will tell you what I do know, or at least what I feel that I know. This is not something that's inside Rand's head. Like this is not something he's imagining. This person has shown up. And that person is targeting Rand. I think what I what I like about it is it's it's definitely something that 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 kind of hooks you in right from the start. There's there's a mystery to be solved and understood, and really, and you know, kind of bring it all together. This this writer kind of. Uh, his presence kind of lingers over all four of these chapters because they keep mentioning it, mentioning him. And, you know, a lot of the young men in town apparently have seen him, not just Rand, but others have, have seen him as well. Yeah. Um, I've I... been trying to guess their ages, uh, the ages of the boys. Um, I feel like they've just kind of 
come into their teens. I want to say they're all kind of 14. Okay. Like, or less. I'm I'm trying to guess how long it's been since the prologue, like where we are right now. So the only age, if I'm remembering correctly, the only age that we're given in the prologue is Egwene's, and we're told that she is nine in the prologue. Uh, I I believe we were were also told um, that... Uh, sister. Not, not, one of one of Egwene's sisters was eighteen, and Nynaeve was just a year younger, so that would make her seventeen okay. at that time. All right. Wow. But we're not given any hints as to the boys' ages. Although, we uh, but can, this writer we can, is definitely t- targeting uh, boys, uh, not girls or anything. Yeah. So it it does seem, uh, especially if we're looking at what we discover further into these chapters. Uh, that it is, in fact, he is appearing to young boys uh, and to only to them from what they can tell, uh, as we'll get into in a minute. Uh, but I think that does. Uh, it's a very interesting thing. And I like the fact uh, for me, and this is something when I first read the series um, coming from somebody who has a background in other fantasy. And Justin, you've mentioned like a background in Lord of the Rings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Dark Riders on the Road. Yes. Very much uh, iconic of uh, Lord of the Rings. You know, you think of that, uh, you know, the the Nazgul and the Dark Riders and things. And it just in my head, it's just like, boom. Uh, Especially especially for us, because when we were first reading these, the Lord of the Rings films had just come out. Yeah. And so that that image was definitely there. Yeah. But what's what's curious about this writer is his his cloak doesn't seem to move with the wind yeah and 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 it's Mm -hmm. it's made quite clear just how how fiercely the wind is blowing and yet this uh this character's cloak is just completely still yeah Uh, that's why i was asking michelle uh you know if you think it's in it you mentioned like you don't think it's in rand's head you think he's actually there uh because absolutely because even though they see him, it doesn't seem like the outside world is having any effect on this writer. So. And let's not forget the fact that he's like, look, they, uh, Rand can feel the hate radiating like off this writer's body. Um, and that's what, that's something I was really interested in, too, because um, this shows that this writer is not a friend. Um, so no matter what he is, he's like a dark force. I'm, I really want to hope that he's the dark one, but I know that that's not it. <laughs> um yeah. and 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 this makes me think that you know what we'll save predictions for the end i guess predictions for me until the end but but this did this did give me a thought um about how this is all going to come together like later on in the book all right uh we may touch base on him again in a minute but let's go ahead and move on into town uh so tam and rand despite their encounter make it safely into the village uh have some various run-ins and uh, confrontations with different village members. Uh, so the, the Congers and the Cap... Uh, I can't ever say the names right. Kaplans. Uh, and then make it to Unloading Barrels, where we are introduced to yet another boy. Uh, this time, Matt shows up. Uh, so what do y'all think about uh, this village that we're introduced to and these people that we're getting to know. My question is, why is this village so sheltered? It's like, it's like they're cut out from the rest of the world. It's, it's so odd, isn't it? 
Like yeah. no one ever leaves. <laughs> and the thought of leaving, it seems to like terrify everybody. I think that's not too far off from reality in some places though. Hmm. Well, uh, you know, it, it really in, in our own, it's really only been within the last century or so that people, you know, moved away from home. There, there's not that long ago, many people lived their whole lives. It, it was it said within like five to 10 miles of the place they were born. Well, thanks for bringing up that point. Cause that, that makes, that puts it all in pers- to perspective. I mean, they don't have cars or anything. Yeah. It was just, it was just kind of weird to me that the thought of leaving or even thinking about leaving is like something that's just like, Oh my gosh. Like, Oh my gosh, yeah. you're potentially leaving the village. Uh, yeah. So that was something that crossed my mind uh, while I was reading this chapter, like everyone chill, like, it's okay. Like we can, we can leave the village. <laughs> Which, so, which just adds add some character to uh, to the boys because for them it's a it's a big adventure to go into these places that really aren't that far off, but that no one else travels to, like into the foothills of the mountains and uh, what they call the sand hills and things like that. So there, there's that that adds that element to their characters. Yeah, I think too. Um, so. Michelle, you're talking about the sheltered nature of the village and everything like that. Uh, yes. One thing Robert Jordan wanted to do when he wrote these, especially starting out, um, is he wanted it to be a little more realistic in how he saw like a village. In a lot of fantasy writing, uh, villagers can be very like, it's, you know, just goes along with things and do, 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 do. And he wanted to portray more of what he saw as a, uh, a realistic village, how people would really react to strangers coming in or to coming and going. Uh, he grew up and spent most of his life living in South Carolina, uh, surrounded by small towns, things like that. And so he wanted to overlay, I guess, how people in the real world would react to the, some of these events that we're going to see coming forth in the next several chapters. Okay. To make it more real. Um, as, as opposed to fantasy fluff. Um, and so their reactions, the fact that people, these are a, a, a tough, sturdy, and stubborn people. You know, they live in this remote area that's not, you know, in, it's not like it's the Dark Ages or anything, but it's, you know, think of it as like a frontier. Like basically. Little House in the Prairie is how I think about it. Yeah, and he did a that, good job, though, because I, I don't view this as, um, I feel like this is real life with with some elements like kind of popping in, like the like the dark rider and everything. He really did give it a real feel. Yeah. And that's what he was going for. And, you know, it, it is like you mentioned, I think Little House on the Prairie, that's a good way to look at it. I think, uh, you know, setting wise and picturing things in your head, that's actually a pretty accurate depiction of what this village is going to be like. Uh, very much like a it's not necessarily geographically the frontier, but uh, thinking of it in that way, it's these people that have taken this land and made it their own and worked hard. It's not an easy place to live. Uh, so the people that are going to be around here are the people that can hold it out and can are stubborn and enough uh, have enough strong will to stick it out. So, Not, not only is it the, the people of Emmons Field or the two rivers, 
don't really leave their homes, but nobody really comes to that area from the outside yeah. either. I mean, several times uh, we're reminded how remarkable it is for there to be strangers in town. I mean, even, uh, you know, a couple of chapters in the even a peddler coming to town is is a huge thing for them. And he knows it too. So he it, loves it, the attention. As I, I love what I love about it is it, it's just it, it's simple. You know, we we I, I guess it's almost a little bit of an escape, don't you think? Because we live lives that are so so busy and, and so much in the rat race of everything. And not to say that the the two rivers people aren't busy with things. Certainly, there's enough work to do, but uh, there's there's just a simplicity about it that uh, is almost kind of refreshing. Yeah. And it's, it's almost an envy of their lack of connection to the outside world, in my opinion. Oh, like, oh absolutely. Yes, I, I think it, think it's a, a great way to, you know, we are all connected with so much social media and everything like that. And I'm saying this on a podcast, but, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it is something to be, you know, we don't get that in our lives uh, and the cultures that we live in. And so it's kind of neat to see oh, them, absolutely uh you know how their little village is set up and i think that uh rolls us right into one of the next things i was going to ask uh so what do you guys think about uh how the village is set up like their power dynamic we talk about that in this little section here um when people start complaining about the wisdom and then we t- find out that there's a village council and a uh women's circle uh, so we get this whole uh, village power dynamic that seems to be completely its own uh, from s- not something that we're used to. What do y'all think about all that? I feel like this 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 uh, men's council or or the village council. Um, I feel like they just go around stomping around everywhere, and then they just announce like, "Hey, we got to meet," and then everything just has to stand still while they're meeting secretly. But I feel like what they're doing when they meet secretly is just sipping like mold mold wine or 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 whatever they're not really doing anything (laughs) (laughs) like i don't i don't view i don't see any progress uh coming out from uh the the village council meeting like did you guys see at any point during these uh four chapters anything productive happening during that meeting no i don't like like nothing happened you know we don't see i mean there there are some i think towards the end of chapter four there are some things uh, some some decisions that they made as far as you know sending word to the other villages and uh, things like that. But you know, I, I've always, uh, anytime I've I've read these these books and especially these early chapters where we're in Emmons Field, I always got the impression that the women's circle were really the ones who uh, who got things done in the village. Oh, absolutely, but they got it done silently. I feel like the only time you'll hear the women's circle speak up is when the men's council is trying to kind of, they feel that the men's council is trying to like encroach on something like with the wisdom, the issue with the wisdom. Yeah. yeah but I, I don't know that you're giving the, the village council quite enough credit. I mean, they, they do make decisions that make sense, like what they do with the peddler. So they, they decide, you know, everybody's getting upset. The town's in an uproar you know, they're, everything's going to overshadow festival and everything. And so what do they do is they get the peddler, they pull him aside, make a big show of it. 
I think they're they're purposefully uh, sh- making a big deal about themselves, like putting on a show because that's what the people expect. And it's how they maintain a sense of like order and control in the village, uh, you know, making people see them taking action so that they can feel safe knowing that their leaders are working, even though there's not necessarily a lot for them to have to do. They're going to make a show of it because that's what puts people's minds at ease. How many members are in this council? I know Senbui is in there, but is it Tam and I think Egwene's father? That's it, right? Is that um? Is it just the- uh, there's uh, also uh, Master Luhan is okay. Uh, the the blacksmith is part of the council. Um, and there's a few and- others I can't remember their names, but. Yeah, I would um, have to look it up. There, it's not a a huge amount of people. Oh no, uh, maybe maybe seven or eight or or so men. Yeah, something uh, like that. So, and it it's for the most part, um, with the exception of pretty much, pretty much with the exception of Tam, uh, each one of the members of the village council has some sort of important job in the town. So the th- right. Sinbui is the Thatcher, Master Luhan is the blacksmith. Uh, Mr. Alvir is the mayor. Uh, everybody except for Tam, who is just a simple farmer. Uh, hey, hey, else... hey, he's bringing the cider. <laughs> everyone, no, wait. Everyone was really waiting for this guy to bring the cider. So <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. dismiss Tam. I'm just saying, like, they're all roles. <laughs> they're all men that have specific roles within the no, village. No, you're true. That's true. Right. Uh, oh, uh, so I the, guess it's like people look up to them. Yeah. Well, the other, except for Senbui, I guess. The other, the other named member is the Miller. So, like, we've got the Miller, the blacksmith, the Thatcher, the mayor. And then okay. Tam representing the farms people, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> they sound like, know, a, like members of a, of a board game or something. Like, do you want to be the Thatcher yeah. the Miller? <laughs> but you know that that might be intentional because we do know there there are a lot of farms around Emmons Field and and certainly they probably yeah. need somebody to represent them as well. Yeah. So I think it makes perfect sense for Tam to be there. Yeah. And Tam being like him and Rand's farm is in the Westwood. So of all the places in Edmonds Field that you could choose to farm they choose one of the most remote and most difficult places to have their farm. And that's kind of respectable, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, it is respectable in the amount of stubbornness that it takes. <laughs> <laughs> it's because he's not married. He's an unmarried man. <laughs> well, he's, that's why. He was married. He's a, he's a widower. Oh, that's true. Yeah. But, but, you know, he needs to remarry. And, and that's why he's out there where he doesn't belong. But hey, I, I I don't know. Every time I think about the council, I look at him with the with the most respect. He just seems so level headed. Um, I don't know. He just seems he comes off as someone who can really think things through. Uh, and this might be because of the prologue that, that I'm feeling this way. Uh, just the fact that he has a good amount of wisdom. Oh yeah, because well, so, he was your storyteller in the in yeah. the Ravens prologue. Yeah. Something I've always found interesting every time the first ever since the first time I read these stories is Tam's flame and void technique where he just kind of how is it? He kind of just clears his head and then feeds all of his emotion and things into this this flame that he imagines. I've I've always kind of been fascinated by by that. And I think it speaks to uh, what you're saying, Michelle, about him being 
uh, very level-headed, very thoughtful about things. He's not a, a very uh, impetuous person. Yeah, I think in my mind, the word that comes to mind when I first think of Tam is just like sturdy. Oh, like, absolutely. That's a good word. That's a good he word, is, yeah. He is that reliable force. Uh, and he's also the best archer in town, thanks absolutely. to the flame in the void. Yeah. <laughs> and and <laughs> if you can't trust the archer, who can you trust? So yeah. um, I definitely trust Tam. <laughs> so he comes right. off as a, as a time. If, you know what? If I found a roach in my house and I had to choose between everybody, anybody i would choose tam he would just come over here handle business and then leave so <laughs> and I, I respect that yeah all right so along with that the village the women's circle and the village council uh one of the things that brings us into this is people complaining about the wisdom uh. so what do y'all think about uh the wisdom and michelle what is her name I can't even tell you. I almost said navel. It's not her. <laughs> I'm telling you. Oh man, that one is hard for me. It's, right. it's just it's a it's just a bunch of vowels uh, squished together. It doesn't make any sense to me. So, the nave, nineve, nineve, My goodness. Uh, as as we said before, pronunciation is debatable. Yeah, yeah it is and, debatable. You know, I, I every I, I've throughout my time i've pronounced her name so many different ways it's not even funny so no i'm telling you her her name is almost as problematic as her position right now so i i just <laughs> i have issues with her you know so, i used to respect her position until um Egwene was saying that oh she she might go and become a wisdom in whatever other village so now i'm seeing it's just i feel like it's just the title so yeah let me ask you that michelle what do you think a wisdom is I used to think that, I mean, the name is called wisdom. I thought that there was some kind of power behind being a wisdom, like like you're like you're born and you and you show something, kind of like the giver. Um, if you guys, I'm sure a lot of listeners have read that as well, where they see that you know one child will have some kind of uh, special ability and that person becomes like the receiver and then later on the giver. I thought it was that, like she had a special ability and that's how she became the wisdom. Now I'm seeing it's like a job application. You applied, she lied on her resume, and then here we are. She's supposed to be the person to kind of guide the village, I thought. That's my thought. Uh, and, and even, and even like, uh, I feel like even, um, what is it, mentor the council. Like they should be, she should be someone that can be consulted. But in reality, she's just someone who got the job and it's not really, uh, it's not really pulling her weight. Okay. I, so, I, I, I don't I don't know if I see her as someone who is meant to mentor the council as she just kind of puts herself into into their their business on on some occasions. It seems like she's not even in their business. It's like she wants to be a grown up, but no one sees her that way. Well, I think that in turn comes from the fact that she is so young for her position. They make reference to that multiple times. The wisdom in a village is typically like an old crone. That's what I was thinking. And she is definitely not that she is young, especially for the position she holds. She's not necessarily looked at as young as in like still a child, but definitely considerably younger than any wisdom is supposed to be. Um, 
so like, how can you be the wisdom if you're so much younger than me? Yeah. Which, you know, and the village council had no say in it. Apparently this is women's circle business. So the women in town decided that she would be the wisdom. Uh, now we do know from the prologue that she was apprenticed to the former wisdom. So we can imagine that something, I guess, either the old wisdom passed uh, and then the village decided that she would take that place. Um, do, do we do we know what happened to the former wisdom? You would ask. Uh, <laughs> as, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm at least from 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 these chapters, I'm not recalling anything. I couldn't remember if anything was said. I don't uh, or believe any, any hints were given in the, the Ravens. She was never mentioned. Yeah she's they reference her in the prologue and that's about the extent of it yeah. um i think there may be some things later on in the books that like just in passing reference but there's not anything concrete okay. uh, we're not given like a specific um i've always just assumed because of how the position normally works that she was older and just passed yeah um which which makes it interesting that she would take on a young such a young apprentice if she herself was older and the wisdom is usually older. Mm-hmm. Um, it se- it seems strange. It, it definitely is. A, it seems like a unique situation. I feel like um, we believe she was older. I mean, I'm sure she was older, but I feel like she's not someone who was like in her hundreds or anything. Um, it makes me think that she probably passed unexpectedly. Like the name just kind of got thrown into um, the position. Is that her name? The Uh. It's close enough. <laughs> Just enough. It uh, takes a minute. Nineve. 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 Yep. All right. So, Justin, Michelle, do y'all have any other thoughts on the wisdom? So, let me ask you this before we move on. Uh, so, the wisdom is apparently see, seen as supposed to be able to predict the weather. Uh, is that yeah. something that y'all think is like a skill or do you think there's some like magic to it or is I mean, it just a thing like the weatherman and you just kind of guess and hope you're right? Well, it's no, obvious. Honestly, I can predict the weather. So it's, it's obvious <laughs> that whatever she said uh, this time didn't come true because everybody seems to be on her case about it. Yeah. Which is so, kind of like the weatherman. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I think she was going by historical data, and it just backfired this time of year. Okay. Oh, that's the worst too. So, an honest mistake. She doesn't wasn't necessarily trying to mislead people. You don't think? I don't think it's not even trying. I mean, I I feel like she legitimately does not know how to predict the weather. It's just she said what what the weather is normally supposed to be. Who knew that it was going to be so windy and cold? Um, during this time of year so it just backfired okay all right do y'all have anything else uh before we move on no those are those are my thoughts on it okay (laughs) so uh leading in from there uh let's see we get uh introduction to matt and find out that he has also seen the writer um and then we are find out that there are some strangers in town yes uh so we are we first find out that there's a gleeman who has arrived by night uh by night yes which is very uncharacteristic the mayor goes on and on about 
what decent kind of person shows up in the middle of the night banging on his door, woke his whole family up, uh, you know, very aggravated. Uh, and then we also have uh, a I- appearance by these two strangers. Um, whereas we can say that the Gleeman was expected, the other two were not. Right. Uh, I agree with the Gleeman here, though. It's like everyone's hyping him up. Oh, my gosh, it's going to be a Gleeman. You, you can't disrespect him like that. If he comes banging on your door, you come and answer the door and let him in and give him some cider. <laughs> he traveled all that way. Yeah. I'm excited about the strangers, though. I really, man, I, I'm so fascinated by Moraine. Yep. So that, uh, we'd right into it there. So the two strangers, we've, uh, we know there's a Gleeman and then another boy in the village, uh, busts in and lets Rand and Matt know that there are strangers amongst. We have the Lady Moraine, as he refers to her, and her partner Lan. Uh, So what do we think about these two and their their short interactions with our boys here? I'm so excited about her. And, oh, man, she commands respect. I I always enjoy when there's a strong female lead in these stories. Um, you know, just not the damsel in distress kind of thing or or just pining over somebody. Um, she just she just uh, you could feel her strength uh, through even the first description of her. So I am I'm looking forward to finding out more about her. So do you think uh, so one of the boys refers to her as lady and she's very quick to to tell them, no, it's just Moraine. Do you think she actually is a lady and just hiding it or what do you think? Based off the reaction that the Gleeman gave her, I think she is something that has power or or pull. I don't know, Justin. What do you think? Well, I, I I'm definitely the only one who hasn't read it. Well, but. well, uh, and I can definitely <laughs> I can say that I definitely got the impression from Tom the Gleeman that he he recognized something about her that that he nobody else scared. is there there was something he knew about her or, or thought he knew about her that nobody else did and he definitely had a reaction to that for sure he seems scared yeah yeah definitely definitely uneasy i would say oh man and she just seemed so relaxed and it seemed like she knew him too yeah that so is somehow a- we we have a gleeman a peddler and now these strangers um, in the village, and they all, well, I don't know about the peddler, but it's just, uh, what are the, what's the coincidence that the Gleeman knows Moraine? Um, so that's that's also something to think about. So do you think he knows her? I, I that's a question. I don't get I the impression. I don't think he gets the, I don't get the impression that he knows her, but uh, he, there's something about her that's familiar to him. It's like okay. he knows of her. Yeah. Or maybe... She also seems familiar with him. But I guess he travels around, so you can't not be familiar with him. But uh, his reaction to her tells me, I don't think it says that she's a, a bad person. It just shows that she probably is a powerful person. I wouldn't say like, oh, she's nobleman, uh, noblewoman or something. Um, but you don't know. I am curious about the man that she has with her. Yeah. What are you curious about? What's his purpose? I don't even think he's like a security or anything. 
I feel like he has a purpose and it's not, it's not, uh, it's not to guide her or, or whatever we think it is. Um, is he keeps on crossing my mind. I'm not even sure what to think of him. <laughs> but we don't, we don't really, we don't really get a much, get much about him, do we? Uh, you know, it, throughout the, the whole exchange between uh, Rand and, and Matt and, and, and Moraine, apparently he's there. He's just lurking. They don't see him until he moves. Yeah. Which it's interesting. They note that the the most uh, explanation we get about him is that he has a neat cloak. Yes. Uh, Which is a very interesting little item. Uh, Like like Justin said, until he moves, they don't realize he's even there. Oh, (laughs) Oh, my gosh. What do you think he's the Dark Rider? You I guys mean, are I don't know. To, it's I, just I, I, keep on, I keep on having to remind myself. You guys know who this is, but I think he's the Dark Rider. Well, we do get his name. His name is Lan. Yep. He doesn't never mean, speaks either. Doesn't mean that he's well. I, well, he kind of does. We just don't hear him speak because he does. Um, it, it mentions because uh, I, I was uh, listening to the chapter I think yesterday, and he does mention that as. He and Moraine walked away. He leaned over to speak to her, but we don't actually get to hear him speak. He's very, he seems very stoic. Oh man, I'm looking forward to finding out more about him. It's like there's so much in these first four chapters, but it's only like a little taste. Oh yes. Um, And and it really is. It just kind of introduces us to, to the world, doesn't it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. We've learned about the village. We know about these two. I know they're going to be significant characters um and i'm looking forward to hearing more about them the glee man he's exactly what i imagined that he would be (laughs) right he's he's such a he's such a great character yeah he just he's just he's exactly (laughs) what i imagined i have him pictured in my mind yes just juggling and just going on about it and everyone's getting excited and egwin is supposed to be a, a grown woman with her braid and she's even getting excited so uh, he's exactly what I imagined, but I'm telling you, everything seemed to kind of come to a bit of a pause when Moraine popped in. Yeah. So let me ask this. Um, so getting us back, I don't want us to move too far forward before we've hit on a couple things. So with the strangers, um, so we have them uh, get introduced to Moraine. Uh, it's a very interesting little introduction for Matt and Rand here. Yeah. It begins with a raven. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, the raven. Which, how do y'all feel about that, given our prologue, named ravens? Uh, if it wasn't for the there. prologue, I would have missed it. Really? If you would you would have you would have missed? I mean, because that raven was acting so strangely. <laughs> I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't have found it as significant as it is. You know wow. what I mean? I know, I know. It's just that there's so many other things going on that I wouldn't have paid so much attention to this Raven. Yeah. See, see, my thing, my, my thinking on it was that the prologue to me actually kind of weakens this moment because you're already kind of on the alert that something's not right with the Ravens. Yeah. Whereas I think in the original intent, this was supposed to be your introduction to that idea because this bird acts like no bird in the history of birds has ever behaved. 
He just sits there. He sits there and stares at these two young men. And when they throw a rock at him, he doesn't even he doesn't even blink. He just he just moves out of the way. Like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that is not a typical bird behavior. Like, no, it's not. Up, like it would be typical if it like fluttered and then landed somewhere next nearby. Or but it just like it literally sidesteps the rock. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh uh, man. So yeah, and that is how that's what's happening when we are introduced to Moraine, uh, who yeah. uh, definitely stands out in this little sleepy village. This woman woman dressed in silk and blue. You know, everybody so far we can pretty much imagine them wearing standard sturdy colors you know everything's yeah. made out of wool uh we're probably dealing with lots of browns and greens i feel like it's like the amish yeah and then all of a sudden this this lady in a fine dress that's blue shows up uh well uh doesn't um and, and again this is getting a, a, into like chapter four but doesn't tom say something to that effect when he meets her he's like he takes one look out of her and he's you're definitely not from around here yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, oh my goodness. I just went back to that chapter. <laughs> and then even when she popped in, the raven was like, he had a bigger reaction to her popping up than even the stone. He just he just dipped out of there instantly. But the, is, the raven literally, literally screamed and shot up in the air. So that's, that seems significant. Oh, absolutely. Like when these, I look at these, it now, it's significant. You say, Rand and Matt can throw rocks at it and it barely even moves, but just move to Mor- the side. Moraine shows up and it it takes off. It's like whoa, and out of, and it just it just goes away. Oh, I feel like this raven is a person. Mm. I'm into um, I like urban fantasy sometimes too, and you know shapeshifters are always a big thing. Um, so I always uh, I don't I don't I won't put it past any author to turn some kind of animal into a shapeshifter. So I don't I don't think the raven is just I mean, of course, it's not just a raven, but I, I feel like it is a person. It's watching, you know, the boys. Yeah, yeah it's so, definitely watching them. Yeah. So after the raven, uh, Moraine then speaks to our boys here and uh, basically hires them. Yeah. So what do you what do you think is going on here? She uh, she gives them uh and especially Matt and Rand, even a large, she gives all three boys that are here money, a coin. Um, but for some reason, Rand and Matt's is a larger coin. Uh, I mean, they're older. Okay. I mean, maybe she just sees, you know, a couple of, of strong young men. She, you know, if she needs anything uh, while she's in the area, uh, somebody she can call on. How much do you imagine that money to be like in, in the, the way they reacted? Um, what equivalent do you think that would be for us? This amount of money, because the, the way they reacted to what she gave them, it's like this is a significant amount of money. Yeah. Well, Rand like actually a year gives, salary. Rand actually gives a monetary value to it at one point. Uh, he says basically that amount of silver is enough that you could go to anywhere in the two rivers and buy the best horse. Ooh. So that's, it's not a small amount of money. Uh, so that's, you know, that's horse buying money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Rain, so. if you have any chores, please come and speak to me as well. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm here. I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever you need 
uh, I can be your eyes and ears. And so, I'll keep the ravens away. So Moraine is there to uh, collect stories. Uh, do you think that's true? Or do you think, what do you think she's mm-hmm. actually here for? I don't think uh, she seems like the type to lie. I don't have any reason to doubt her right now. Uh, you know, collect stories can mean anything. Okay. Yeah. She's in the village for a reason. I know she's watching somebody. Um, she knows something is about to happen. I, I can feel it too. Okay. All right. Well, now that we've met her, um, we are then introduced to our traveling peddler. Uh, mm. None other than Mr. Padden Fane. Uh, and our third boy shows up, uh, Perrin. Uh, the blacksmith apprentice uh, who we also met in the prologue. Uh, Fane comes in uh, sharing news of the outside world and everything that has been going on out there. These poor sheltered people have no clue what's going on outside their (laughs) own walls. Uh, And he's here to shake up the apple cart. It's Uh, like the whole world is is just falling down and they just had no clue about it, which in all honesty, I'm, I'm kind of the same way too. Um, <laughs> I feel like I always find out about everything that's happening like weeks after it happens. So I can see how that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but he loves it. He's so, I just, he's so, he loves the attention. He clearly does not get attention anywhere else. Um, the fact that everyone's just pouring over what he's saying. Yeah. I feel like he likes chaos too. <laughs> what do you think about the news that he brings? Well, my my favorite line in the whole exchange is Bran Alvear, why are they having a war? And and it just comes across to me as is like, you know, the way the way it seems to me like he says it, it's almost like, you know, oh, they were just bored one day and decided to go to war. Why are they doing that? (laughs) That sounds relevant to this world, too. So spoken like a. Spoken like a true sheltered mayor. I, I was just going to say, it, it, just, <laughs> it, it, it definitely speaks to the isolation of this village that they don't really fully comprehend like, what why? war is. Yeah. They know it's bad. They hate the idea of it. Men killing men. That's horrible. But but, but they rally together rather quickly, right? For people that just question the war, they just, he just, it was like, hey, we're going to send different people out there. And I didn't get it as him sending the boys out there to to um, to spread news. I felt like it was to keep watch. So Did you're I talking about you're talking about the decision that the council makes. Yeah, uh, yeah, that the council makes. Like, is it was it so, to keep watch? So yeah, they're setting up basically. Given that uh, the war is a thing that's happening to the south there could be refugees and other things that come up from the war they are basically going to set up a watch just to keep an eye out and like they say if it's if it's refugees they'll do what they can to help them if it's people seeking trouble then they're going to find trouble Mm. Uh, so it's basically they're going to be working with the other villages to keep an eye on things look out for things they don't think uh it's like what tam says uh, would not and should not. They're being prepared for the things that should not happen because you can never say that they won't happen. Ooh, that's a good way to put it. Uh, that's yeah. like me putting up my ring doorbell. Yep. Um, <laughs> like this should not happen, but I'm prepared if it does happen. It's like a something something we often say whenever whenever we leave home and are 
are, are packing. We think, you know, better to, uh, better, safe it, than be- sorry. better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, he gets everybody stirred up. Um, what else does he, there's one thing in particular that he mentions that seems to overshadow even the mention of war. Apparently someone has named themselves the dragon reborn. And I'm just kind of shaking my head at that. Really? Anyone who is the Dragon Reborn is not going to announce it. That's Why the way that? I view it. The people that are the most powerful, um, they're not going to go around stomping around and saying that they're here. Think about Voldemort. We didn't know that he was here until he decided to start wreaking havoc and he had his army together and he was ready to do what he came there to do. Um, when you're over here trying to gather power, you're not going to come around and start shouting that you're the, the dragon reborn. Um, they say that this happens often, uh, often too. Like it, yeah. someone just de- declares that they're the dragon and then chaos happens and it's just a false dragon. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious, Michelle, what is your thoughts or what is your feeling about the character of the dragon? Like what kind of person is he? Is, is he the dragon is... He- is- is he good? Is he bad? Somewhere in between? I, I want to believe Tam's version of the dragon. Okay. I, I feel like he's someone who's actually good and somehow the story got twisted and now he's the he's the he's the person that's wrong. Or okay. or so I, I want to believe that the dragon is actually someone that's good. It's just that for some reason his history has been twisted to make it look like he's actually bad. So that's why I also don't believe this dragon reborn. He's not a true dragon. Well, he's convinced enough people that he's raised an army to fight a war. Mm. Uh, And he has, uh, he is able to use the power. So they, they make mention that there have been false dragons, but none of them could use the power. But But can can he use the power or does it seem like he can use the power? Well, he apparently at least has convinced enough people that the uh, what is referred to as the Aes Sedai have been sent mm-hmm. out to go after him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I'm just skeptical because if these other people are as like um, sheltered as these villagers, I don't believe that he has the power. You could just get some smoke bombs or something from a peddler and pretend you, you have the power at this point. So uh, I don't know. Okay, but th- that's not well, to say that the dragon has not been reborn. I'm just saying that this particular dragon, I'm like, eh, he's just smoking mirrors, and and something bad. I, so prediction wise, I feel like something bad will happen to him uh, for falsely claiming um, that, like the dark one. Watch the dark one come in, and he's like, okay, so you're the dark one, uh, you're the dragon, and then he gets killed for no reason. Uh, it's basically false claiming. Yes. I'm just saying evil people or someone with this much power, you don't say anything. You just silently gather your forces. Yeah. So uh, what do you think, Michelle? Uh, there's mention made here of the Aes Sedai. Uh, what do you think that is? Oh, I've already learned what the Aes Sedai is. Remember from uh, Dragon Mount? Finally, in 
do you well no it has the taint still doesn't it the taint hasn't gone away so it's the power that uh they draw from right uh no that is Ooh. uh Sidine is what Ooh. you're thinking of the Aes Sedai then I am a little bit lost on that okay so uh the Aes Sedai are uh I can go ahead and say this because I don't think it's hiding any facts or anything like that. The Aes Sedai are basically the users of magic in this world. Oh, um, nice. So think of it like this. This uh this false dragon or real dragon, whether it whatever it may be, uh can use the male half of this power, the tainted half of the power. And so because of that, these others that can use the power have been sent after him. Uh, and these others are the Aes Sedai. They're the women who can use the power. Oh. Because the, the half of the power that was tainted, as you reference in the prologue, uh, was the male half, Sidene. And so what's happening here is the women who can use the power, uh, one of those in the prologue, Elon refers to them as Luz Theron's sisters. Uh, so basically these women who can use magic have been sent after this dragon. So Moraine, I'm calling her an Aes Sedai. I'm going to call her I right now. It, uh, one, one thing we can definitely... Uh, learn though from reading is that the idea of Aes Sedai are uh, no more comforting to the villagers than the false dra- or the dragon or oh, war no. because uh, especially Sin Bui especially when uh, I think his name is Awen brings up the idea that only women can touch the power or touch the source it's you know he automatically tries to shut that down and says you know there's some things that just shouldn't be talked about Yep. So it's definitely not something that these villains, they don't want to talk about Aes Sedai any more than they do anything else. Yep. And, it's uh, like they don't want to speak it into existence. Yep. yep. The, the Aes Sedai, and it's, uh, there's all types of stories about the Aes Sedai. You, you think of, so this is a sheltered village. The way they talk about the Aes Sedai, and especially our boys here in a minute, will start to talk about them. They're almost like uh, tall tales. Like they've never actually seen an Aes Sedai. They suppose that, you know, they're a real thing somewhere out there in the world. But, uh, you know, that seems to be. It's kind of like confirming everything they've imagined. Yeah. And it also shows like that there's different sides of all these stories. Like, they talk about stories where the Aes Sedai are heroes. And then they talk about how there's also people say that the Aes Sedai are the ones who broke the world. Uh, so there's all this misinformation and it's almost like a, uh, a game of telephone that's been going on between all these people and over the generations in time. It all goes back to that first sentence or that first uh, paragraph. Um, in chapter one, where where they're talking about how myths become legend, legends are, uh, it, it's basically that same thing. Like after after a certain amount of time, you don't know what's real anymore. Um, so we're not going to know what this. Um, I mean, of course, they don't know what's going on either. Um, 
but as far as like my opinion on it, I, I do believe that the dragon is good. I want to say the Aes Sedai are also good as well. You said that they were going after the dragon? Uh, yes. They oh. had ridden out. Uh, the Aes Sedai are already into it, the Pedwar said. A party oh, okay. of them has ridden south from Tarvalon. Since he can wield the power, none but Aes Sedai can defeat him. I hope they're confirmed. So there's, I- there's definitely big things going on in the world beyond this tiny little village. It's yeah. what happens when you don't have Twitter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you just, uh, they, they don't know where you, to scroll through. When there's you don't no have Reddit, there's <laughs> you don't have Twitter, you only have Peddler. You don't have Reddit, <laughs> you don't have anything. You just <laughs> all you have is one peddler. Yeah. And a and a gleeman who's very not impressed. Who doesn't even <laughs> want to talk about it? Yeah. He's, well, just, well, he's just over here juggling. To say the, the gleeman says it's old news. Yeah. You Ooh. know that, that that's that's just something something that's already, you know. And kind of come and gone for for a lot of the world. I guess it's still going on, but it's you know it's it's something that's not worth getting all that excited about. It almost seems like, like. like we moved on already, guys. Like that's that's so last century, last <laughs> yeah. week. Yeah, yeah. That's why I like the Gleeman too. I, I like that he's not playing into their their fears. He's just like, oh, it's not that big a deal, guys. Like whatever. Here's my juggling. Like look at me. Yeah. yeah, he's definitely there for a purpose. He's he's yeah. there to entertain. And and perform for sure. Yeah. That's that's what he's getting paid for. Yeah, and you can definitely tell uh, with the Gleeman that he's seen a whole lot more of the world, and he, he he you know he kind of starts to make fun of the boys a little bit because they start to tell him, oh I, we've been to the the foothills <laughs> of the mountains of mist. Oh and yeah, <laughs> and he's like, oh really that far? Yes, I know. <laughs> uh, oh and man. The, and the, <laughs> and the boys aren't picking up on it. And then Egwene finally picks up on it and is like, hey, that's not very nice. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's like, yeah. it just reminds me of when I make fun of my little cousins or something. It, yeah. it, I think it's adorable. Yeah. You know, one thing, one thing real quick that we haven't really touched on, but I think it uh, might be something to at least make mention of is uh, Rand and Egwene's relationship. Um, it's obvious that there's something there. And he actually seems a little bit uncomfortable um, as He's well. He's not ready yet. Yeah, which, which you know, as you know, speaking as as a man, you know, when especially around that age, girls make you very uncomfortable. So, <laughs> and and she's trying to play it off too, like she doesn't she doesn't care, and I feel like she wants him to care so bad. Yeah, like, like I might be a wisdom in this other village, and then she swings her braid. Yeah, um, yeah, her <laughs> braid. Uh, yeah. Which, you know, is a big deal, too. Yeah. It's been uh, a big deal. It's been a big deal since the prologue. She, yeah. When she had that braid, I was like, okay. I, I, I kind of did an internal applause. Like, good job, Egwene. But, but it, it, it definitely worth mentioning, you know, their, the hints at their relationship, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, and they very much, it's a very interesting uh, dynamic there. And the other boys kind of give him a hard time for it as well. Which is uh, what best friends do. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Best so, friends uh, and family. Yeah. Everyone's giving him a hard time yeah. about it. Yeah. So. All right. So uh, drawing to a close here on this, um, the one last thing that happens before we end out these chapters is after the council meets, uh, the boys 
have all talked and have discovered that every single one of them has seen this mysterious writer and the council it is revealed believes them uh and so they're going to be part of the reason they're doing the watch is going to be to keep an eye out for this writer uh i, I was shocked that they believed them uh, when you guys first read this uh that chapter were you shocked as well i wasn't expecting that uh, Not i think once. it I think it came as a surprise, but when you get the explanation that, you know, so many of these boys had seen it, and uh, I think special mention is made of Perrin seeing it, and he's described as one who is very, uh, you know, kind of down to earth, you know, not like Matt, who's well known for causing trouble, making up stories. Perrin is a much more trustworthy source, and so with so many uh, having the same experience, I think they had to believe them. Yeah, because there are even two other boys that are mentioned as well around the same age as them that have also seen the writer. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Matt and Rand were worried. Well, Rand especially was worried about trying to go to anybody about it because he thought it was just him and Matt. <laughs> and Matt's not a good witness. Uh, so, but now, you know, the village has been confronted and enough people have seen it that they're going to take it seriously and make sure to keep an eye out for this guy. Uh, and so because of this, uh, Tam decides that him and Rand need to go home uh, instead of staying in the village for the night. And so they are going to set off back to their farm because uh, Tam doesn't want to leave it and the sheep unprotected if there is somebody working about. Yeah. Just, I was shocked he's setting yeah, off in the dark. Just a, just Well, I don't think it's dark yet. Um, yeah. okay. it's getting, it's getting late in the day, but one, one, one note though, I think that is worth mentioning, you know, we've talked about how stoic, uh, Tam Althor is, um, but you know, just the idea of this, right. He even says that if it weren't for the festival, he wouldn't even come back into the village the next day. Yeah. Uh, so that tells you that even he is shaken a little bit by this news of, of this writer that he is actually there. Yeah. So. All right. Well, I think that brings us uh, to the end of these chapters. Do y'all have any more comments before we kind of wrap things up? I'm uh, looking I think, forward to reading on. Yeah, I think we're just setting up for something big to come. Okay. So, um, uh, so what are we reading next time? So next time we will be reading chapters five through eight. All right. Five All right. through eight. So everyone out there, uh, read those and be ready. Uh, we'll be back next week with those chapters for you. Um, before we go, Michelle, do you have any predictions about what's going to happen next? Ooh, man. So we're definitely going to find out what I, I, I feel like we're going to find out uh, what the deal is with this writer. Um, I also feel um, oh, I'm also looking forward to finding out what's what's going on with Lady Moraine. But I want confirmation that this is all, I, I want to see that, I feel like these boys have been reincarnated, not reincarnated, but I feel like they're part of this new cycle. They have significant roles in this cycle, and one of them might actually be the dragon. So this is a really big prediction that I probably won't find out in the next four chapters. But I think one of these boys is the dragon, reborn. Okay. Right. All right. Well, uh Thank you guys for being with me tonight. And to all our listeners, we thank you. Uh, we hope that you've enjoyed our show and we cannot wait to talk with you again next week. 
everyone. This is Michelle here, and we wanted to thank you again for joining us on this episode of The Wind Was a Beginning. If you like what you hear, we would love it if you could leave us a rating and review wherever you heard this podcast and help us get the word out to more potential listeners. You can email us at thewindwasabeginning at gmail.com or interact with us on social media. We're on Twitter at windbeginning or on Instagram at thewindwasabeginning. We're also on YouTube and Facebook. The Wind Was a Beginning, a Wheel of Time podcast. We hope you'll come and join us next time as we discuss chapters five through eight of The Eye of the World. See you guys then.